Bibles, and I'm sure you do, turn to the book of Judges chapter 11. Judges chapter 11. Powerhouse Youth Conference is less than a month away, uh, so uh, please start praying about that. Uh, we will have teenagers coming here from all over the Northeast. Uh, usually we have someone from every state in New England, plus we have some from New Jersey and New York. Uh, so just be praying for them. Uh, we got some great preachers that are coming in uh, this year to be a part of it. And a lot of uh, Brother Rob's put a lot of work into all of this and he and the, the staff that he assembles for it. Uh, so please keep that in prayer and make it a, a, a daily reminder. Uh, I don't think signups are out there yet. They may go up tonight. Brother Rob was uh, proofreading a few things. Uh, on that, but we always uh, could use some help. Uh, we need some folks that can, uh, maybe you're not working and you can come in at some point of the morning, the afternoon, or the evening and be on site uh, to help with food preparation or cleaning restrooms in between sessions, uh, breaks and stuff like that, um, or, or just uh, to be here directing traffic. There's all kinds of things for us to do. If you can do that, there'll be a place to sign up. We need some food items and other things brought in. Uh, and you've always been a, a real help uh, to that. That helps us keep the cost down as much as we can uh, for the teenagers. So be praying for Powerhouse. It can be a life-changing time uh, for individuals. And uh, kids get saved almost every year. We've had young people surrender that are now out in the ministry. Uh, we recently had a young couple. They met at Powerhouse a number of years ago um, and pursued their relationship and they are married uh, and they have moved to this area and they're putting their child in our school this year. Uh, so you never know what's going to happen uh, at something like this. Just pray that God would bless, put a hedge about the place and, and so forth. Uh, as we talk about that, we are getting ready to do a facelift of our auditorium uh, this summer. It's, it's, it's about time. Uh, we voted Wednesday night. We got a company coming in and they're going to redo the ceiling and the rafters so we don't have to, that would be a tedious, time-consuming thing for us to get up there and try to do that. Uh, and then we're going to paint all the walls and, and so forth. We're going to duplicate the colors of the lobby uh, in here, and uh, this part, the walls and so forth, we're going to do ourselves. Uh, so be listening. As soon as the roof's done, we're going to have a painting party, okay? Uh, and all we ask is, if you can paint, please come. If painting is not your thing, you like to do it, but you get more on you or on the floor, that type of thing, uh, if that's you, pray for us. Okay, uh, but many hands make light work, and I can't get up on the scaffolding uh, anymore like I used to, or the ladders, uh, but there's enough trim work and low stuff. Uh, you know, God built me low to the ground for a reason, and uh, so, you know, I'll do what I can and be a part. And it's always fun when we work together. It, it really is. And so just be listening for that. And that's going to all be happening. We're hoping maybe within the next week or so they'll be in to start the work up here uh, and so forth. And it'll be nice to see uh, sort of things cleaned up, brightened up in here just a little bit. Uh, I've been talking long enough. Did you find Judges 11 yet? Uh, normally, Brother Tim uh, is your teacher in this class. I really enjoy his Sunday school class. Uh, there, he does an awful lot of research and so forth. Uh, but as I said, he's on vacation. We're working through judges, and we're talking about one of the more unusual men, a man by the name of Jephthah. 
Jephthah is listed by name in the Hebrews chapter 11 as being a man of faith. We looked at his background, look at chapter 11, verse 1. Now, Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty man of valor. That is a statement that talks about his integrity. He was not only a courageous man, he was a man of great integrity. Uh, Goliath was a courageous man, but he was not a mighty man of valor. He was a strong man. He was a powerful warrior, but he was not a man of valor as we would see it. But this man Jephthah was. We also learn in verse 1, he was the son of an harlot. And Gilead begat Jephthah. He was an illegitimate son. Um, his mother was a woman of ill repute. Um, and uh, in the day and age in which he lived, that would have somewhat branded him. And uh, we learned uh, in, in a couple lessons ago that his half-brothers uh, that were born to his father's legitimate wives wanted nothing to do with him. They kicked him up out. Verse 2, thou shalt not inherit in our father's house, for thou art the son of a strange woman. So he fled from his brethren. That word fled indicates his brothers treated him harshly. Uh, it was a very, it was not a good thing. Um, and uh, maybe for his own safety, uh, he left and, and went a long way away uh, in, in their, their economy and dwelt in the land of Tob. There were gathered vain men to Jephthah and went out with him. The word vain sort of means empty. They were men without purpose. They were men without a foundation, perhaps men of a similar background. And they, they congregated together um, and so forth. And, and it might be, it sounds like they became somewhat of their own small army. Um, and that's what they did. Maybe they, like David, uh, when he was fleeing from Saul, there were times that David and his mighty men, uh, they served as guards for shepherds in certain areas. And they, they watched out protecting that no one stole their flocks, no animals invaded. Jephthah appears to have had a small uh, mercenary army that did that. Uh, war came along. The children of Ammon threatened the nation of Israel. And uh, the, the nation of Israel was without any leadership. They looked around and they just they didn't find anybody there. Um, and they knew about this guy, Jephthah. Um, and even though he'd been cast out, we learned from uh, the lessons of Brother Tim that they sent message, verse 6, come and be our captain that we may fight with the children of Ammon. That must have been an unusual moment for him. The people that hated him, didn't want anything to do with him, now needed him. Do you realize he was in a position to say no? You didn't want me when, when uh, you didn't have a problem. You don't get me when you do. But he was a mighty man of valor. He was different than that. Now, he did put the question out there. Did not you hate me and expel me out of my father's house? And why are you coming to me now when ye are in distress? And, of course, they, they went back and forth a little bit. And Jephthah wanted to know, are you just going to use me and then send me away? Uh, again, when you're done with me and so forth. And of course, the elders of Gilead made a deal with him before the Lord. Verse 10, the Lord be witness between us if we do not so according to thy words. Verse 11, they went to a place called Mizpah. And there they made a covenant with the Lord uh, about things. Um, Jephthah's first response was a wise one to the, the kingdom of Ammon. 
uh, he tried to reason with them. Sometimes we're ready to fight when it'd be better if we tried to talk it out, tried to reason it out and so forth. And, and so he did that. Um, and again, I'm reviewing uh, with you that which uh, Brother Tim has, has uh, talked about. I said, why are you come to fight against us? Verse 13, they said, because you took our land. Uh, you, you took our land and described the borders and so forth. And Jephthah wrote back in verse 14, said, uh, actually, we didn't. Uh, you came out against us in war, and, and we won the war. And in, in the way things work, he who wins gets to keep the land, right? Um, you know, this war, Russia invaded Ukraine. If Russia wins that, they get to keep Ukraine. That's how it works. Um, and, and so forth. And um, so he said that, you know, that's just kind of the way it works. Ammon was not about to put down their, their weapons and so forth. And so war is inevitable. Verse 29, the spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah. I like that phrase. He's a mighty man of valor, but he's a man that is controlled by the spirit of God. I have a spirit. You have a spirit. It, it's our human spirit. Anybody here, you ever have a bad spirit? Anybody? Yeah, yeah. I'm so glad. I don't, I don't feel quite as backslidden as, as I, I, I did before I asked the question. It, it's kind of real easy to get a bad spirit. Um, in Luke chapter 9, uh, Jesus and uh, his apostles were going to Jerusalem, and they were coming through Samaria, and they, there was a village there, and they, they realized Jesus and his entourage were headed to Jerusalem. The Samaritans hated the Jewish people, and they wouldn't let him in their town. They wouldn't open up their doors. They wouldn't let him eat in restaurants, stay in the inn, whatever was available. And they basically blocked the way to town and said, you're not coming here. And James and John, two of his disciples, they were called the sons of thunder. Um, I, I, I would have loved to have been around those guys. I think they were probably kind of loud and boisterous. I would have loved to have heard them preach. They said, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and burn them up like Elijah did? And the Savior just rebuked them right away, said, you know not what manner of spirit ye are of. They had a bad spirit. They had a wrong spirit. Um, Jephthah has been rebuked in his attempt to reason with the king of Ammon and all of that, but he's not responding with a human spirit. He's allowing the Holy Spirit of God to direct him. It's easy for us in times of stress and strife to get in our own flesh and our own spirit. At least it is for me. It's very important at those moments that I take a step back and say, Lord, you, you need to control this guy. Amen. Just just. Make sure that I'm, I'm following your spirit and not my own. So he did that. Uh, he, the spirit of the Lord came upon him. He passed over Gilead and Manasseh and passed over Mizpah of Gilead. And from Mizpah of Gilead, he passed over under the children of Ammon. He has uh, got his army. Uh, he is going to go to war. There's no, there's no way out of it. He's following the leadership of the Lord. And then in verse number 30, is this where Tim left off last week? Anybody remember? I don't know. It's a week ago. Um, I think I was in North Carolina last week, and that's about all I remember. Um, as Jephthah gets there, um, verse 30, Jephthah vowed a vow unto the Lord and said, if, there, if thou shalt without fail deliver the children of Ammon into mine hands, then it shall be that whatsoever cometh forth of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the children of Ammon, shall surely be the Lord's, and I will offer it up 
for a burnt offering. So Jephthah makes this vow. Question for you. Did he have to vow anything to get the Lord's help in that battle? Why not? How do we know that? Good and loud. Well, God's love's unconditional. We don't have to bargain with him for that. But in taking this step to go to war, he doesn't need to vow a vow because the spirit of the Lord has come upon him. He's following the leadership of God. And so he doesn't have to vow a vow. Is it wrong for him to make a vow? No, not at all. Uh, a vow is a promise. It is a, it is a covenant, or if you will, it is a contract in this sense that we make with the Lord. And it is not necessarily wrong to do that. Keep your place here and turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. You may or may not have looked at this last week with Brother Tim, but, but it's uh, important enough in our understanding of Jephthah's situation to look at this again. And Ecclesiastes 5 verse 1 says... Keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools for they consider not that they do evil. He, he, the warning here is when you, when you go into the house of God, go there and be ready to listen to what the Spirit of the Lord has to say to you. And just be very, very careful about things. And when you respond to that which you hear, be very careful about that. He's not saying, don't go to the altar. He's not saying, don't, don't uh, uh, do what God spoke to your heart about. He's saying, just consider very carefully that you don't do it in the heat of the moment or in the emotion of the moment or in the spur of the moment uh, because that's, rash, that's rashly making a promise to God. And here's why he says that, be not rash with thy mouth, let not thine heart be hasty, to utter anything before God, for God is in heaven and thou upon earth. Therefore, let thy words be few. Just be, be very careful when you make that promise to God. He's not saying don't make it. Just be wise, be wise about it, and here's why. For a dream cometh through the multitude of business. You, you uh, boy, I, I think God wants me to do this, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to promise him this. That's, that's wonderful but are you willing to put the effort and the labor and the sacrifice behind it to make it to come to pass? A dream cometh through a multitude of business. I'm looking forward to the day when our auditorium has a facelift, but I've been part of this facelift of this place on at least a couple of occasions in 25 years, and I know this, the, the shoemaker's elves are not changing profession one night to come in here and repaint our auditorium while we sleep. Not going to happen. Uh, it'd be nice if they would, but it's not going to happen. There's going to be a whole lot of work in order to get it done. And so Solomon is advising us on that, but he goes on. He says, a fool's voice is known by multitude of words. When thou vowest to vow unto God, defer not to pay it. For he hath no pleasure in fools, pay that which thou hast vowed. Better is it that thou shouldest not vow, he's talking about a promise to God, than thou shouldest vow and not pay. Suffer not thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin, neither say thou before the angel that it was in an error. Wherefore should God be angry at thy voice and destroy the work of thine hands? 
When we make promises to God and do not keep them, God takes that seriously. By the way, does God ever make promises to us? <laughs> you, you got a whole book full of them, folks. Does God always keep his promises? Yeah, uh, he's, he's always faithful to us. And God expects us to be the same way. And uh, so this matter of making vows in the presence of God is a very, very important thing. And Solomon warns us, don't be rash with your mouth. He's not saying don't make a promise to God. Don't surrender that part of your life to God. Just realize that once you've done, uh, made that vow before God, God holds you to that. That's a lot easier said than done, though, isn't it? In um, June of uh, 1974, I went to a youth conference in Hammond, Indiana. I was uh, getting ready. Uh, it was right before my senior year of high school. I thought I had my life charted out pretty well. Uh, I had a scholarship already, even before my senior year, to the University of Pittsburgh. Um, I was going to study uh, major in journalism, minor in archaeology. I loved to write. I loved ancient history. I wanted to combine those two fields to be a, a correspondent, if possible, uh, somewhere in the Middle East and where I could sort of poke around the ancient ruins and find King Tut's brother's tomb. And, you know, uh, that was my dream. Um, nothing wrong with it, nothing sinful about it. But on uh, a Thursday night at his service in June, um, that's the night that I believe God called me to preach. I, in fact, I knew it beyond any uncertain terms. And the Lord and I wrestled during that service for a couple hours, longest invitation uh, that I'd ever seen up in, uh, to that point in my life. The invitation was like two and a half hours long as kids were getting saved and right with God. And it, it was an amazing, incredible service. Uh, during the, near the end of it, which I surrendered and I, I told the Lord that I would give up what I planned to do and I would go off to Bible college and I would be a preacher. I went forward that night. The, the man that was preaching prayed with me personally, um, and I surrendered and gave my life to Christ to be a preacher. I didn't know if I'd be an evangelist, a missionary, a youth pastor. I had no idea. I just knew God had a plan, and I surrendered to it. Okay? I, if you will, I made a vow before God, didn't I? Well, I went home on uh, Friday night, real late. We got home, and Saturday morning... Uh, got up and uh, my, I, I went out into the kitchen and my mom asked me how the youth conference was and, and so on and so forth. And I shared that decision with my mom. Uh, my mom hugged me. My mom was saved, uh, told me uh, that she was proud of me. And then I went down to the garage. My dad was not saved. My dad had an entirely different reaction to my surrender to preach. And for the rest of that summer, my dad called me every name that there is to call a human being, many of them not repeatable in any setting, setting let alone church. Uh, my dad put pressure on me. My dad belittled me in front of relatives uh, for what I was planning to do. Um, and at one point, the tension between my mom and dad over this issue got so great that my dad announced to me one morning, I worked in a car dealership washing and detailing cars where he was a mechanic. And on the way in, he announced to me that he and my mom were getting a divorce. And it was my fault because it was over my surrender to preach. And he said, congratulations, 
you destroyed your family with this. I'm 16 years old, and I'm getting that from my dad, and I cried all morning long as I washed cars. Uh, I, I just, it, it was the, the biggest burden I'd ever carried in my entire life, especially my young life as a Christian. And uh, we got in the car to go home for lunch, and he started all over again. And I said, you and mom don't have to get a divorce. I'm not going to go to Bible college. Uh, I'll go to the University of Pittsburgh and just do what I was going to do. And he stopped for a little bit. And in my heart of hearts, there was just something wrong. We didn't say anything through lunch. We didn't say anything on the way back. And I cried all afternoon washing cars and so forth. We got in the car to go home that evening, and my dad started up again, this time belittling me for going back on a decision. And I said, I'm not going back on anything. I said, I don't want you and mom to get a divorce but I know what God wants me to do and, and I'm gonna go to Bible college and I hope you and mom will figure something out. You shouldn't do this. And my dad got quiet. Obviously they never got divorced, but you see, I made a promise to God and it got very hard to keep. Has that ever happened to you? Anything like that? That's why Solomon warns us, don't be hasty about these things because I learned a long time ago every decision that we make is going to be tested especially a spiritual one because the enemy of our souls does not want us making spiritual progress and so be careful about that well Jephthah has vowed this vow he said Lord if you let me win the battle whatever greets me when I come home I'm going to offer it up as a burnt offering before you now in Jephthah's mind, I'm assuming he thought one of his animals would meet him. Most people then, no, no matter what their profession, had some type of a flock of sheep or goats, things like that. Um, almost everybody did. If you go to Israel today, Trina and I were there uh, 23 years ago in the city of Jerusalem, the city proper. It is not unusual to, for traffic to stop, stop and a fall, small flock of sheep will cross the street. That'd be like being in Manhattan or, you know, you know, something like that on Times Square and everything stops so somebody can get their goats across the street because people kept them in their backyards. It's just still a common part of life. So Jephthah in his mind is probably thinking that type of thing is going to happen. Okay, uh, so let's go back to Judges chapter 11. Judges chapter 11. Um, the Bible says he passed over, verse 32, to the children of Ammon to fight against them, and the Lord delivered them into his hands. He smote them from Aroer, even till thou come to Mineth, even twenty cities, and under the plain of the vineyards with a very great slaughter. Thus the children of Ammon were subdued before the children of Israel. So there's been an, a, an amazing victory, an amazing, wonderful victory, a complete victory, if you will. They're subdued, the great, great slaughter. And Jephthah came to Mizpah unto his house. Now remember, he lived in Tob, but he, he's evidently moved to Mizpah where this covenant was made between he and the people and now between him and the Lord. And behold, his daughter came out to meet him with timbrels and with dances, and she was his only child. Beside her, he had, he had neither son nor daughter. This is not what he expected. News of the victory would have traveled ahead of the army. 
It's almost always the way it happened, even in ancient times. His daughter was so excited. She would have been proud of her dad and, and, and all that. And she came out and uh, she, a timbrel would be like a tambourine type thing. And she's coming out and she's singing. And uh, the idea of dancing is, uh, you know, she wasn't doing some sensual wicked thing from TikTok. Uh, it, was, it was more, you know, jumping and dancing and, and spinning around and twirling. She was just all excited. Uh, we're not sure of her age. The Bible doesn't tell us uh, that. Um, and she just came out to meet her dad, verse 35, and it came to pass when he saw her, that he rent his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, thou hast brought me very low, and thou art one of them that trouble me. For I have opened my mouth unto the Lord, and I cannot go back. Now, we're not sure if in this moment he told her the vow. Remember, when we read conversations in the Bible, Generally, we're only reading a portion of the entire conversation. We're reading the part that the Holy Spirit said, this is what you need to know. Uh, but people generally didn't talk in just a single sentence any more than we do today. Um, he said, I made a promise to God. And notice what he said, I cannot go back. He's a mighty man of valor. That's the very first thing God told us about Jephthah. He's a mighty man man of valor. That meant he's a man of his word. And Jephthah all of a sudden is wishing Solomon would have written Ecclesiastes 5.3 about a thousand years earlier. So he could have read that because he realizes I was rash with my mouth. I was hasty in uttering something before the Lord. I did not think it through but I want you to understand there's no part of Jephthah here that is now trying to get out of the deal. Trying to find the loophole, you know. I'm going to take this to my lawyer and see if we can find a way out of this thing. He's not doing that. He's not trying to rationalize and saying, uh, you, you know, it was in, in the spur of the moment and I, I, I spoke it out of fear and I know, I know God isn't going to expect that of me. There's none of that with Jephthah at all. I've made a vow to the Lord and I cannot go back. Can you imagine how terrible that day was for him? How utterly terrible. But, but look at his daughter. Verse 36, she said unto him, my father... If thou hast opened thy mouth unto the Lord, do to me according to that which proceedeth out of thy mouth, for as much as the Lord hath taken vengeance for thee of thine enemies, even of the children of Ammon. This was an incredible girl. Um, if, if my parents had made some kind of a vow like that in that day and age in which I was to be offered as a burnt offering, um, and they would have told me about that, I, I might have been tempted to say, how stupid could you be? And anybody else, please tell me that you would have responded. I, 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 this girl could have been in hysterics. This girl could have been ranting and raving. She could have been telling her father off. She could have been telling what for. She could have been refusing, saying there's, there's absolutely no, well, no way that's going to happen. I'm packing my stuff. I'm leaving home. I never want to see you again. You're an idiot. She could have gone on and on. Her response was so immediate and so spiritual. 
Look, Dad, if you made a promise to God, apparently she knew what it was. That's why I say there was more to his conversation with her than is recorded. She knew what it was. She said, do to me according to your word because God kept his end of the bargain. God gave you victory over the children of Ammon and you promised him if he did that you would offer the first thing that greeted you as a burnt offering. There's an awful lot of respect for Jephthah's faith in this awful situation, but there's got to also be an awful lot of faith for his daughter. She was an incredible young lady. In Genesis chapter 22, we read about the Lord coming to Abraham and saying, I want you to take your son, your only son Isaac, and I want you to go to one of the hills of Moriah, which I'll tell thee of. And he said, I want you to offer him there as a burnt offering. See, God had put that out before Abraham. Now, we know God never intended for him to kill his son Isaac and, and offer him there, but it was certainly a test of faith. Now, you've got to understand, Abraham is somewhere in the realm of 115 years old, give or take a few years. Isaac is 15 to 20 years old, something like that. Question, in an arm wrestling match, who do you think would win? Abraham or Isaac? Isaac, if I were in an arm wrestling match with my son, Tim, um, I, I know that he'd win. I'm better looking than him, but he'd still win. He's younger, he's stronger, um, and, and uh, I'm good looking. That's about all I got going on my side. So Abraham goes, follows the leadership of the Lord. He leaves the servants behind at a certain place, and they're going up to this mountain. And Isaac asks his father, said, Father, um, he said, here is the wood, and here is the fire. They probably had some kind of a, a, of a, a, a container, a metal container, or maybe even clay that had hot coals in it to, to ignite the fire. He said, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham just simply said, prophetically, uh, my God will provide himself a lamb for an offering. And that's certainly what God did when he, out, when he sent his only begotten son. And Isaac was content with that. Then they get up there. Isaac is helping his dad build an altar of stones. It's got to be big enough to lay a human being across it. A lot of work was involved in that. They lay the wood in order, and then his dad said, son... God told me to kill you and offer you as a burnt offering. Now, we know from the book of Romans that, that Abraham didn't stagger at the promise of God like some films try to make it look out. Oh, God, why are you doing this? This is not fair. The Bible says that he believed God was going to raise his son from the dead. He, he just had such complete faith. Do you realize that there's no evidence in Genesis 22 that Isaac argued? that Isaac fought back. The truth is, up in those mountains, if Isaac decided to run, there is no way that a 115-year-old man is going to chase him down and win without God giving Abraham some kind of unusual strength. Do you realize that, that Isaac had a faith as strong as his dad's? Maybe in some way stronger because he was letting himself be killed. So his dad could obey God. Jephthah's daughter is of that character. Moms and dads, 
there ought to be something in us that wants our children to have a faith that strong. Am, am I okay with saying that? Not that we're going <laughs> to offer our kids for a burnt offering, though there have been times that may have crossed our mind, you know, uh, that type of thing. That, that's never going to happen. But uh, don't we want children that are willing to trust the Lord no matter what? No matter what. Two days after Trina's diagnosis with the cancer and she had the surgery the next day, and Saturday morning, she, uh, she woke up, got moved into a regular room. Uh, and it would have been three days. Sunday afternoon, Trina and I watched the morning service, and Tim preached a sermon called God is Always Good. Trina had already made that statement uh, very, very clear, but Trina and I had a conversation that she initiated. And she said, Tom, you and I have to be very careful now because our children are watching us. She said, I don't want our kids to think that God is a bad God. Her concern was that Tim and Sarah and Anna would have a faith as strong as that of Isaac and that of Jephthah's daughter. Um, and, and I agreed with her on that. Question, question, where did Isaac get such faith? Did he get it in Sunday school? Yes or no? No, because Sunday school hadn't been invented yet. Did he get it in church? No, the church hadn't been established yet. Did he get it in the Bible? Hadn't been written yet. Where did Isaac get such incredible faith? Watching his dad. Where did Jephthah's daughter get such incredible faith? She had a little bit of Bible. Isaac had none. She had the first five books and possibly Joshua. So where did she get her faith beyond that? She had to have gotten it from her dad. Boy, the power of parenting is an amazing thing. Now, we're going to finish this chapter next week. Actually, I'm going to let Tim finish it. Uh, it's one of the most puzzling portions of scripture that you will ever study or you'll ever read. I'm not dragging my feet because it's, it's a, it, it is a difficult subject. I took the time here this morning because I, I'm really, as a, as a father, I realize my kids are grown, but I've got grandchildren now. Uh, I'm stuck with that question. Will, will my children have the faith of Isaac and Jephthah's daughter? I find them to be remarkable young people. I, I really, really, really do. And that ought to be our goal. Amen? We need to stop there this morning.